Welcome to The Backstory. I'm Leah Rose. Today I'm talking to Julia Scott, who wrote Polly Love for the February issue of San Francisco Magazine. I think what polyamorists are trying to say is that it is our natural state to be sexual, to feel sexually attracted to multiple partners, and that um, monogamy compels us to pretend that that's not the case. And they're simply living a more honest version of sexuality than the rest of us. Julia's article looks at the group dynamics of polyamorous relationships. Julia profiles married couples who manage to openly maintain relationships with outside partners, as well as people who are committed to multiple people at the same time. And while it might seem like poly people are just swingers in disguise, Julia found that many of the relationships are often more cerebral than sexy. Here's my conversation with Julia. So when you learned that you were going to be writing a story about polyamory, what were your immediate thoughts as a journalist? Well, I actually uh, pitched the story to John Steinberg, the executive editor of the magazine. He and I had a conversation about all of these quirky poly communities in the Bay Area that we'd been hearing of, but we didn't have direct exposure to. And it turned out that we both had very similar interests about the community, not necessarily to join the community, But we were very curious about how they make things work, not sex-wise, but love-wise, how those relationships could could be functional on, you know, on a yearly basis or for, you know, over the course of a lifetime. And so when I found out that he wanted me to write the story, my reaction was, I hope I don't have to go to a sex party to write this story. (laughs) Uh, And and the way that that he and I talked about putting the story together, it turned out that it was going to be more about relationships to my relief than about sex. Okay. And so that was nice. (laughs) Yeah. And it's funny because your story actually begins at something that's almost the opposite of a sex party. It starts at a support group for people who are in polyamorous relationships. And I'm wondering, uh, while you were at that meeting, what did you actually learn about polyamory? I learned that polyamory is an intensely complicated lifestyle, that there are a lot of people who are curious about it, that not everybody is successful. Right. And that there is a tremendous amount of support giving and support receiving that occurs. The kind of support meeting I attended is very common for relationship workshops here in the polyamory community. There's a lot of them. And that's because there's a huge need for leaning on your your friends and uh, local relationship coaches for expertise. And so I think I went in thinking... You know, there was going to be a lot of drama, and there was a lot of drama, but ultimately uh, there was a lot of kind of everyday practical concern as well about, you know, looking advice-seeking about relationships and, 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 how to maintain and how to maintain them. Did it seem like the main function of those support groups was people learning how to deal with jealousy surrounding their partner's partners? Yes. Jealousy is – my impression is jealousy is the top – concern uh, that people have. And when they see it in themselves, they treat it like a cancer. They're like, jealousy is unacceptable. Jealousy is a normal human emotion, but I refuse to let myself have it. So whenever jealousy comes up, I heard the same thing over and over again from people I interviewed. 
whenever jealousy comes up, you're supposed to find out what's under it. And what mm. poly people mean by that is you're supposed to go off and examine yourself and find out what it is about your own insecurities, your own upbringing, your own patterns since childhood that would have led you in this moment to be jealous of your partner. Did it seem like people were actually breaking through that barrier and finding a way to not be jealous? Yeah, as you as you read in the story, there are a couple people who profess to be, uh, you know, jealousy gurus. You know that they they've kind of been able to um, to circumvent or or defeat the the jealousy monster. And but even those people, when I pressed them, were compelled to admit that they still suffer from jealousy from time to time, and the differences that they're so good at identifying the feelings that are under jealousy that they can process much more quickly than somebody who might not know what those feelings mean and what they're doing. It's very utopian. It is very utopian. And I, I think I think Polly, to the extent that monogamy is full of, you know, is, is very much a part of the tradition of sad love songs and broken hearts, I would say polyamory is is the utopian kind of counterweight to that. But it sounds like it's also there's an element of sadness to it as well. Uh, You write something about polyamory being much more cerebral than sexy. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think I was compelled to write that just by sheer virtue of the fact that I actually uh, got my ear talked off about poly by poly practitioners, people who uh, love nothing more than talking about poly in the abstract. And right. so people are very heady about it's poly. It's very theoretical. Here. It's very theoretical. And when you can practice it so much the better, of course, that's when all the problems come in. But but yes, sometimes poly doesn't actually involve having sex. And okay. this is, this is a, a very interesting point that I myself did not realize. But sometimes being poly can just mean like sharing a mortgage with somebody or um, writing, you know, writing your best friend a love note. And it could be that that person who you live with, who's your best friend and who you want to raise children with, isn't necessarily a sexual partner, but you do combine your finances and you may have had sex in the same room with them at some point, or you may have shared a partner at some point, but you're not necessarily having sex with each other. And so... Some poly people I interviewed did describe poly in very close to platonic terms for some people who they referred to as their partners. And then you you quote Sherry Froman, who is polyamorous and who you write hosts play parties at her apartment. She said that a lot of men have trouble with polyamory because the fantasy looks nothing like the reality. What do you think she meant by that? I think polyamory changes the relationship of sex and power. One woman I interviewed who's a polyamory coach named Marsha Bashinsky for this story said something very interesting, which didn't make it into the story, but I'll repeat here. She said, in mono, you know, monogamy world, women have the sex and men are trying to get the sex. In poly world, no one has the sex and no one is trying to get the sex. When you have an unlimited number of potential partners, it no longer becomes about who's going to offer sex or who's not going to offer sex or who's interested in having sex. 
or what the terms are going to be necessarily. Because what becomes important instead is being the best possible, most interesting person. Is that because you already know that everybody's interested in having sex? It's that you have to assume a certain level of interest in having sex, but when you have that level of choice in the community, what's going to attract somebody is not necessarily how sexy they are, but um, if you're a woman and you have your choice of men, for instance, you get to decide who's who's the the most appropriate for you, who's the most you know, honest, who's the most integrity filled, who would fit, you know, play nicely with your other partners if you were to become serious. And so there's other criteria that come into play when you're considering taking on a new partner. I learned something fun. This is just a tidbit um, that uh, the person who's willing to date a married couple and is bi and is sleeping with both the husband and the wife is apparently quite rare. So rare that they're the number one most in-demand category of polyamorous partner on the market. And they're called unicorns. Oh, wow. And usually unicorns take the form of a bisexual woman who who ends up entering into a relationship with a, with a married couple. For the couples that you interviewed who were married but also polyamorous, what did it take for them to, or how did they decide, I guess, to settle on one partner long term? You're asking a good question because it's not a question of settling on one partner long term. If you're truly poly, you're not going to settle on one partner long term. You're, you're going to look for as many reliable, committed long-term partnerships as seems right to you. But some poly people did decide to get married. And when I asked them why, why elevate one partner above others? Why give that partner primacy um, over others? Um, I got some really interesting answers. A lot of people denied that their partner had a special status in their overall you know, umbrella of relationships. Um, even if they were married? Even if they were married, person? yeah. That marriage didn't really mean that much to them when they got married, that it was either a practical thing that they did or they did it because they really loved their partner. But it doesn't mean that they love their non-married partners any less. Then again, I spoke with some couples, for instance, the poly quad I interviewed, right. the two interconnected partners. Though that was a situation where it really was two partners who were connected to each other, but their primary loyalty was to their, their spouse. And the people that you interviewed who were in polyamorous relationships, did they talk about actively trying to deconstruct monogamy? Yes. Some polyamorous folks I interviewed were more politically inclined than others. Uh, and by politically inclined, I mean that they they felt like polyamory was, was a viable alternative to monogamy and was a way to disrupt monogamy. And then I'm interested about Marsha Bashinsky, um, the relationship coach who you met at the support group. Um, she is a co-founder of Cuddle Parties, and you wrote that you met her in a kink-friendly cafe. 
Uh, I'm curious what she was like, and was she really affectionate towards you when you met her? <laughs> um, Marsha is a, a sweetheart. She's um, she was very uh, friendly. I don't know if I would call her affectionate. <laughs> she wasn't cuddling you. No. I was just imagining you two sitting in this yeah this kinky cafe. Yeah. Well, you know, up. there was a, there was a certain amount of intimacy there. You know how you meet some people who are just they seem very open and friendly. You know, she's like she's like that. Um, so she she made it easy to 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 hang out, and we were sort of, you know, seated close together on a couch. At, it's like a red velvet yes, lipstick couch. A red, I love that. Yes, <laughs> at, at a at a king friendly cafe on Eighth Street. And if anybody is interested in exploring the poly lifestyle, that's uh, one of the hubs of it. And then you also quoted Marcia saying that the three most common pitfalls of poly relationships are jealousy, time management, and lack of clarity around what you're doing, um, which actually doesn't seem that different than uh, problems in monogamous relationships. Um, and I'm just wondering how those three pitfalls played out in the relationships that, that you researched. You know, poly relationships aren't dealing with any issues that are not endemic to monogamous relationships. They don't exist on a different plane. Um, it's just that um, what we perceive, we monogamous world, perceive as inherently complicated, uh, more complicated than monogamous, is something that they perceive as being more honest about, about human sexuality and what we actually want under it all. Um, Could you sense that honesty in the couples that you hung out with? Did it feel different than just hanging out with a monogamous couple? Oh, I will say that the couples I interviewed were very skilled at interpersonal relations. I mean, they're they're very present to each other and clearly had done a lot of work around communication. Um, it, it's It's almost as if you were hanging out with a monogamous couple that had been through a lot of therapy or something. They, okay. they were they were definitely on the same page and they had definitely done some work. Okay. And then I'm also curious about Anna and William. And William, you write, is the de facto king of East Bay Poly. Um, what's their arrangement? And did you get the sense that it was working for them? Yes. William Winters uh, is a well-known figure in in the poly scene. Um, So is Anna, his wife. William and Anna have been married for several years. They met in Baton Rouge. William has several partners, although none of them are what he would have called serious, at least not when I interviewed him. Anna, however, is very into commitment to the point where she will actually occasionally propose to people who she considers um, her her another life mate to add to her group of life mates, I guess, is a way of putting it. Um, And propose, I put obviously in quotations because she's legally married to William, but it's a way of her showing her love and commitment for somebody who she wants to be around the rest of her life. And so as a consequence of that, she is faux married a friend of hers who lived in Baton Rouge, lives in Baton Rouge, and she currently is dating a couple the uh, husband more seriously than the wife, and then she also has a serious boyfriend. So 
God, it just seems like it would take so much time and energy. I know. I know. <laughs> it's a lot of people to keep track of. Yeah, and not only keep track of and coordinate, but actually attend to everybody's emotional needs. Exactly. Who are you saying goodnight to every night? It's like, are you texting six people? Good night, good night. What do you think polyamory says about human desire and our inability to remain satisfied sexually and emotionally with just one other person? Well, speak for yourself. <laughs> um... You know, I think what polyamorists are trying to say is that it is our natural state to be sexual, to feel sexually attracted to multiple partners, and that um, monogamy compels us to pretend that that's not the case. And they're simply living a more honest version of sexuality than the rest of us. I'm reserving judgment on whether I agree with that or not, frankly, because I haven't tried out polyamory, so I haven't the faintest idea, you know, whether that's true. And so I, that's the best answer I can give, I think. Were you at all interested in trying it after researching the article? I can't say that I was, um, simply because it's an, it's enough stress on me to, like, wake up, pull my socks on, get in the shower, remember to, you know, brush my teeth in the morning. I can't imagine, um, you know, having to balance <laughs> or having to, to admit several people to my life. It's just life is life is hectic enough without it. Okay. Thanks so much, Julia, for sitting down to talk to us. Uh, I loved your story. I learned a lot. And uh, thank you. The Backstory is produced by Justin Richmond and was recorded today by our multi-talented guest, Julia Scott, at the San Francisco Writers' Grotto. Thank you to John Steinberg and San Francisco Magazine for sponsoring today's episode. And thank you again to Julia Scott for her article, Polylove. Keep tweeting us at the Backstory POD and send us your story and show ideas to backstorypod at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Leah Rose for The Backstory.